Hey, if you're new to uh, Sherwood Oaks West, it's thrilling to have you here. This is our first uh, time of uh, rolling out two services, and uh, it's just great to have you here at the nine, it is nine o'clock, and yeah, the nine o'clock service, and uh, uh, I think it was Robert, uh, Robert said on the way in that if we started maybe a half hour early, we could have had a sunrise service. That's almost depressing, isn't it? Yeah. So when I was driving in this morning, it, the good news is it was three, and when I got here, it was four. So I'm feeling good about that, Okay. So 74 days, write that on your bulletin, 74 days till spring. So it's just right around the corner, okay? <laughs> tonight, uh, I'll let you know real quickly what's going to be going on here in the next few days. Uh, tonight is the men's night out, all ages. So dads bring your kids, uh, grandpas bring your grandkids. Uh, bowling at Classic Lanes, 5 o'clock. We got a great group rate, 11.25. That includes three games and your shoes, which is disgusting, the bowling shoes. But anyway, uh, be there tonight, 5 o'clock. It's going to be a great time, guys, as we get going uh, into the year. Great news. Uh, this is outstanding news coming uh, February 5th, and we have a special team to thank for this. Uh, one of the things that we wanted to create was a space, especially for our junior high and high school students, to meet on Sunday morning, now that we have two services, and also Sunday evening. And so we have that space, and it's going to be the commons room, which is the shelter area right over here at Cars Park. A little nippy, but not bad. No, it's an inside area. It's got a bathroom. It's heated. Uh, but we had a team, and let me tell you what they did. To get and reserve this room at 12.01, they had to go online and basically reserve that room week after week after week. And it took them till Tuesday, but they got it done. And so thank that team. Uh, that secured that room, and we'll let you know about all the great things we're going to be doing because we get that room all day Sunday, the entire day. So we're going to do a lot of great things there. There is a safety team meeting today at 10.05, and they will be meeting uh, back in the, the room here. Uh, they call that room the, um, what's that room back here called? We're called the big bar. Yeah, I'm just saying, yeah. I think they call it the clubhouse. It's clubhouse. It's a bar. So yeah, make yourself back there. And keep that in mind, we got a lot of great things going on. Let's uh, bow for a word of prayer, and then uh, we're going to roll this morning. Heavenly Father, we cannot thank you enough for the new year. Thank you for everybody that uh, came out here on this bitter, cold morning. And uh, more than anything else, I just thank you for the spirit that's in this place. And Lord, it's uh, because of you. And Lord, we just praise you for today, uh, a day that we can celebrate, and a day that we can surrender to you. Be with us as we go into 2017. Help us do everything that we can to walk like you and to be more like you. It's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen. Go ahead and take your Bibles and turn to the book of John, chapter 1. John, chapter 1, we're going to get to that in just a moment. And I want to tell you, we're all excited about a new sermon series, and if you'd like to take notes, hopefully today we'll give you a lot of good stuff and some websites and things that will help you along the way. Uh, but here's what the sermon series is all about. As we go into the new year... Uh, Tom and I were talking a lot about what's the most important relationship that any of us have in this world, and it's the relationship that we have with Jesus Christ. And what is our number one mission in life is to be more like Christ. So what would it have been like if you were one of those early followers of Jesus and you got the honor to actually walk with Jesus? What would be the life lessons that you would have learned uh, during that two-year public ministry, walking with Jesus. What would that look like? So for the next 10 weeks, that's what we're going to do. Did you kind of put your spiritual imagination on and think, if I were walking with Jesus and I watched everything that he did, I observed everything that he did, 
what would I learn from him? And that's what we're going to talk about. And here's what I love. As we go through this for 10 weeks, then we are really right on the threshold of Easter, and I think it will prepare our hearts for the greatest day in history, and that's the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Our foundational text is 1 John 2.6. In the New American Standard, it says this, The one who says he abides in him ought himself also to walk even as he walked. In other words, if you say, I'm a believer in Jesus Christ, I'm a follower of Christ, then ultimately, what do you want to do? You want to be like Christ. You want to walk like Christ. So we have a great tool. You can get this at the bookstore. You can order it online. But it's called Walking as Jesus Walked, Making Disciples the Way Jesus Did by Dan Spader. And uh, you can get these for, like, I think it's $8.50, uh, again, through the bookstore. Uh, I did this last year, but let me tell you how it helped me a lot, is I got some really good friends, and every week we would meet uh, for lunch uh, at the old wagon wheel, and we would go through this. And I want to tell you, there's just, this, it, it's a very simple process, but it is just such a good workbook to go through, and again, what did Jesus do? What did Jesus say? What was he teaching the disciples, which ultimately is what he's teaching us, walking as Jesus walked. You know, uh, steps are important. And uh, that's what we hear a lot about, especially this time of year, how important it is to get in your steps. Long before Arnold Schwarzenegger, there was a guy named Charles Atlas. How many of you know who Charles Atlas was? Great guy, okay? Charles Atlas said this, step by step and the thing is done. Martin Luther King said this, you don't need to see the whole staircase, just take the first step, steps. Steps are critical. Now, uh, I want to share with you some good news about the benefits of steps, the benefits of walking. All of us know this. The country of Australia did a, a survey, huge survey, and they estimate that um, if you take 3,000 more steps a day, it will reduce premature death by 12%. That's pretty good. So get up and move, 3,000 more steps. This is a funny one to me. The Honolulu... Heart study followed 8,000 men over the age of 50 for 12 years. Pretty, pretty uh, amazing survey. They found out the, man, uh, the men who would walk an average of two miles a day, two miles a day, cut the risk of death over eight years 50%. They lived a lot longer. Now, anything funny about that? Okay, you're walking in Honolulu, okay? I don't know about you. This, so I thought, I wonder what it would be like Honolulu in January or Fairfax Beach. You see what I'm saying? They're not going to live that much longer. You're in Indiana, okay. But in all seriousness, if you look at this website, and it's called Walking Works. It's put out by Blue Cross Blue Shield. And you'll find out that more walking, more steps, relieves stress. It lowers blood pressure. It slows our aging process. It improves our mood. Just get out there and walk. Uh, when do people battle depression the most, in all seriousness? It's right now. It's the winter season. Uh, Indiana, I, I read this survey a few years ago. Tom shared this with me. In the nation, Indiana is ranked 18th as far as grayest winters in the entire United States. A, a typical Indiana day is what? Gray. Okay? So I, I understand that. But you know what? Just battle as hard as it is and get out there and keep moving and take steps. Now, here's why I think steps are hard to increase our steps. 
Uh, we have all the tools to help us. It's honestly, steps sounds like exercise. Am I right? Yeah. And for a lot of people, that's a cuss word, exercise. And so I, I read some folks here that they battle this. Here's what one guy said. I love this. Uh, people ask me if I exercise, and I tell them I do crunches, Captain Crunch and Nestle Crunch. Maybe some of you can relate. Here's one woman I love her attitude about exercise. When I exercise, I wear all black. It's like I'm going to a funeral for my fat. Now, maybe, maybe that's where you're at, too. And some of us can relate to this for sure. It's funny how exercise helps us live longer because whenever I exercise, it makes me feel like I'm dying. So uh, I see those folks. I was at Planet Fitness last night, and you can see the folks who kind of like exercise, and you can see the folks that they just don't like it at all. But when we talk about steps physically, we get it. We'd say, you know, that makes sense. You get off the couch. Actually, there's a great app called Couch to 5K. And there's all kinds of tools, again, to help us physically move towards exercise and taking more steps. But I really want to get into how important it is for us to do this spiritually. Now, physically, it is amazing what some people have been able to do by pushing themselves to take more steps. There's a guy named uh, Mark Covert. Now, this is amazing. Mark Covert, right after his high school graduation, like he had typically done, he ran cross-country, went for a run, and he journaled it, logged it. Next day, went for another run, journaled it, and he thought, hey, I wonder how many days in a row I can run at least a mile. And he started logging it. Now, are you ready for this? He finally stopped at 16,437 days. That's 45 straight years. That guy's just not real smart. Now, again, that's California, but still pretty impressive what somebody can do with steps. David McTinney and David Fowler together walked, and this is the world record, 154 straight hours nonstop. That's six-plus days of walking without stopping. But here's the most remarkable research I found about steps. And I would challenge you to go online and research this guy. He blows my mind. His name is Arthur Blessed. Arthur Blessed is just sold out to Jesus Christ and that Jesus Christ gave his life for him. So he determined to build a 12-foot cross, and he has carried this cross across the world. Matter of fact, he has gone to, uh, amazingly, 324 countries. He's traveled over 41,000 miles. But he also is obsessed with studying the life of Christ, and I've never seen a more thorough investigation of exactly how far Jesus, he estimates, walked on this earth. And here's what he estimated. He estimated that Jesus walked 21,500 miles on this earth. That's 48 million steps. And every step of those 48 million was for me, and it's for you. The decision today you need to make are what are the steps you're going to take to draw closer to Jesus Christ? Because 48 million steps, not one of those steps was for himself. The moment that he took his first step, he did it for all of us. So it's important as we look at the steps of Jesus that we ask, how did Jesus walk? What did Jesus do? And we're going to get into two things this morning. What was the message of Jesus and what was the method of Jesus? That's a very foundational question, but I think it needs to be addressed. What was his message? He came here like, what is it he wants all of us to hear? 
And then, did he have a method? Absolutely. So here's his message, first of all. And this is from John, if you're there, the first chapter of John. Listen to the message. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And he was with God in the beginning, and through him all things were made. And without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. That this living, breathing, inspired word of God became flesh. Now think about that. And the flesh actually walked with us. Can you imagine walking, literally, physically, walking with Jesus? And yet that's exactly the relationship that he wants with us that the Word became flesh. And man, his message was so crystal clear and powerful. So what was the message? When Matthew 4, 17, it's interesting. This is the first time you read the phrase Jesus preaching. And what do you think Jesus preached? What do you think the very first message? It's what had to be love. Well, if you remember, John the Baptist passed away, and it says, Jesus began to preach, repent, the kingdom of God is near. Isn't that interesting? So the first sermon that Jesus preached was about repentance? It really was. Now why? Why did Jesus preach about repentance? Because repentance means look at your life and say, I need to make some changes. And Jesus knew just what he knew from all of us today. If we aren't willing to make changes, if we don't learn that lesson, then all the other lessons that follow don't make any difference. If we show up at church and we just learn a new lesson, and we take notes, and by the time we get to the car, we've lost it, and we don't do anything about it, what changes took place? And if no changes took place, are we really taking steps? Are we really walking with Jesus? No, we all need to repent. Last week, we read that scripture out of Isaiah 43, 18 and 19, that we are to forget our former ways. We are to strive towards that new thing that God has in store for us. But here's the problem. When you hear the word repent, what image do you have? So let me ask you that. We have a small enough group here. We can do this. This is cool. So when you hear the word repent, what image do you have? Anyone? There's no wrong answer. Anyone? What? Attorney? Oh, turning away. I thought you said an attorney. Okay, yeah. (laughs) It could be that too. Yeah, good. Yeah, repent. You need a lawyer. Okay, so yeah. So here's the thing. Turning away. Now, here's what I picture, and I don't know why. Some of you that have been around Bloomington a long time, you remember this guy, and his name was Mad Max. Have you ever heard of Mad Max? The blowhorn. Repent! Okay. A lot of people who have no relationship with Jesus Christ, that's what they think about. When they hear the word repent, like if you're talking to your friend, and let's say your friend's saying, you know what? I, am, I just feel so terrible about, I've got so out of shape, I just, I've got to drop some weight. What if you say, you know what the issue is? You need to repent. Good luck with that conversation. You know, when's the last time you used the word repent in a normal conversation? When's the last time as parents you told your kids, the reason you got no Christmas gifts, you didn't repent. I mean, you, you just don't use the phrase. But I want you to think about how important it is that Jesus said, here's the first thing, repent. You need to change your heart, change your action. You need to be willing to start all over. You need to be willing to change, and change is hard. 
And then this is his second message, which I love. Matthew 6, verse 32 and 33. If you've got your scriptures, would you, let's read this together. Matthew 6, 32 and 33. You've heard it several times. And even if you don't have your scriptures, just join in. Here it is. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow, for tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. Isn't that true? It's easy to say, but it's tough to live. So Jesus says, first of all, come clean, be willing to change. And then his second lesson, his second message point is, you need to seek me with everything you have. Because you're going to have a whole list of struggles and stress points and anxiety. And here's the thing, but if you tenaciously seek me, it will change your life one day at a time. Now, is that an old message that doesn't hold true today? Are you kidding me? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands, but how many of you this week got through the holidays and you're still stressed out? Or you've got something right now, right now you are worried about. And on your ride here, other than it being bitter cold, you're thinking, oh, my land. I know when I get up tomorrow morning, I've got to face this. And here's Jesus saying, here's the deal. You have to seek me every day. Seek me with purpose. Now, here's a word that I wish I had a nickel. Now, forget it. It's 2007. I wish I had a dollar. Every time this week I heard the word resolution. Anybody heard that on the radio today? Or not today, but all week is the word resolution. Now, it's not a bad word. It simply means a firm decision to do something, a determination. So there's nothing wrong with the resolution to say, I want to do this this year. But time and time again, they have proven resolutions just don't work. Matter of fact, the failure rate is well over 90% of resolutions that fail. Matter of fact, a few years ago, I remember uh, when I was here back in the 80s, and I used to uh, go to the YMCA on a regular basis. <clears throat> I know you can tell. But anyway, I was going to the YMCA on a regular basis. And I would reward myself. It was a, a hard workout. You know, before I started, if I finished it, I would go to the hot tub. Okay? And I used to love that, except the month of January, I hated it. Because you couldn't even get in the hot tub. And it was just jammed with these losers who were going to lose all that weight. You know, and I would I'd wedge in there, you know, like we're all like potatoes. And you, you don't, you know, I no eye contact. Three weeks later, everything was back to normal. And all the regulars would say, I'm so glad we got through January. Happened every year. Now, why? Every year, everybody made the same resolution. And it lasts about two weeks. Now, why isn't a resolution doesn't stick? Well, it doesn't stick because there's a huge difference between a resolution and a goal. And there's a huge difference between a goal and a written goal. And here's what I love about goals. And I think this is so true. A goal is a dream with a deadline. So my question this morning as we talk about steps is, are you actually setting some goals and are you setting some spiritual goals? Now, there's been a ton of research, but this was Dr. Locke and Dr. Latham who, uh, from the University of Maryland who have done, again, extensive research, and they've narrowed down to how to make goal setting work. And I love this. So here's the first thing. He says, make sure that your goals have clarity. Be specific. Okay? Be specific. So let's say this year you decided after hearing this sermon that's changing your life, I'm going to 
I'm going to build in at least 3,000 more steps. Okay, you're specific. Now you got to start determining how am I going to get in 3,000 more steps every day? And then is it challenging and yet realistic? How many of you have ever set a goal at the beginning of the year and about Groundhog's Day you realize that was so unrealistic? Okay, here's one I hear every year at church. Anybody want to guess what the number one church challenge is every year that by Groundhog Day comes to a screeching halt? I'm going to read through the whole Bible this year. And then you get to Leviticus, and then it gets painful, okay? And you're like, oh, my land, how many times can I read about bed sores? And I know, I mean, I can't get through this. And then, they, okay, so set realistic goals. For example, what if I said my goal 2017 is I'm going to dunk a basketball? I've never dunked a bat. Well, I have once. I took a trampoline and some really good friends, okay? Now, you may set some goals that are totally unrealistic. Don't do that. Make them challenging, but make them realistic. Number three, Make sure that there is a commitment, and by making a commitment, you write it down. If you don't write it down, honestly, again, you're probably not ever going to do it. But if you specifically write it down and revisit it, and then here's the key, feedback. In other words, bring other people in to these goals that matter to you. Now, a few years ago, and I'm going to confess, since we're talking about repentance, on my 35th birthday, Marie was not excited about this. I took all the money I got from birthday plus a little extra, and on a whim, I went and joined Weight Watchers. She was like, what? And I, and I said, hey, I'm in. All in. I joined for 16 weeks. Me and the ladies, there was no, this is a little town in Illinois. And I remember showing up the first time, and I'm like, so what do I do? And they go, oh, you got to weigh in. It's all these ladies. Oh, go ahead. I'm like, oh, just kill me. You know, and so I would weigh in, and, and it was like, this is humiliating. And I'm like, now what? And they go, will you stay for this meeting? We have a half-hour meeting. We talk about nutrition. And I remember thinking, just beat me, seriously. And I, I'm saying, oh, I ate some whole wheat toast with applesauce. Oh, it was so good. I'm like, oh. But now I'm in. I've already paid. I've already paid. I'm in. But you know what? I don't know if any of you have ever been a part of it. It works. It's, it's interesting. Over this long haul, it just continues to work. Matter of fact, anybody know who the spokesman is for Weight Watchers now? Oprah? Yeah, she's making a few bucks off. Anyway... Here's why it works. Every week, you know what you do at Weight Watchers? They do it every, whether you want to or not, you weigh in. You weigh in. So if you weigh in on Friday, guess what you eat on Thursday? Nothing, okay? As you know, okay? Number two is there's group encouragement. I found out after I didn't like it the first time, I liked it the second time. You know why? You get little uh, ribbons if you lose five pounds. Now you think, what grown man wants a ribbon? I do. I'm in, I'm in. hey, I lost five pounds. Bring it, baby, you know. You know, and then here was the last one. It's not free. You pay for it. You pay for it. And I think sometimes what happens in the church is, and spiritually, we make our goals way too simple. And we don't, we don't do those very basic things. We don't have weekly accountability. We need weekly. People say, why should I go to church? This is one reason. Because you're holding yourself accountable. The other thing that I love is you have others to help you. Let me, let me share with you a ministry that blows me away here. It's our hospitality ministry. And I mean today without a hitch. I mean, it was just boom, 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 you know. And I just love as people, if you're visiting, you come in and say, come on and get some hot coffee and go inside. Okay, because I know behind the scene, there's a team. And the thing I love about the, the, the ministry is the encouragement for one another. There's, everyone's got each other's back. And here's the big thing. If it's free, if everything in life is so easy, how well do we do with the things in life that are really easy? Anything you really want to go for 
It is going to be a challenge. And I think sometimes the church tries to make things so simple. Oh, we want to make this so easy for you. We don't want you to have a challenge. Do you ever hear Jesus say, I want to share with you how you can change your life, and I'm going to give you three easy ways. Uh-uh. When he went to the disciples, it's like, if you're going to follow me, you're going to take up a cross. You still want to follow me? Do you still want to take steps with me? You want to walk with me? Because my message is crystal clear. you got to repent. You have to seek me with everything you have. And when you seek Christ, it may lead you out of your comfort zone into a life of faith that you never imagined. If you seek Christ, there may be somebody right now you need to forgive. And you didn't make that part of your resolution, but I'm telling you, that's the exact thing that Jesus Christ may be calling you to do. If you're seeking Christ, he may be leading you to mercy. There may be somebody in your life right now that needs mercy. That person that annoys you. We all know you don't pray for patience, but we should pray for mercy. Or maybe by seeking Christ, it's brokenness. Maybe Jesus reveals something in our lives that we know we have to change. But one thing is for certain, if you're going to follow Christ and you're going to seek him first, everything changes. Everything changes. That's his message. It was his message then, and it's his message today. But what was his method? Well, follow along again in the first chapter there in John, and look at verse 14. We already talked about the word that became flesh, so it repeats it again. John repeats this, and the word became flesh, and he made his dwelling among us. In other words, he walked with us. We have seen his glory and the glory of the one and the only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Grace and truth. When those disciples, just like us, if we follow Jesus, we see this amazing, this spirit of grace, but Jesus never backed down from the truth. What was his method? Well, Jesus, his method, I believe, can be wrapped up in one word, and it's the word investment. Now, I thought it would be love. Absolutely, everything Jesus did was about love. But the word that I chose as far as his method was investment. You see, when Jesus walked with us, think about that. He invested in mankind. Jesus, the Son of God, could have done anything he wanted. He could have built a huge temple to himself, and he could have simply said, here's this huge structure. Now, if you want to hear what I've got to say, I will speak every day at 1 to 3, by the way, I have some folks here who are going to collect some money, and so if you want to hear my teachings, come on in. Very safe, very... No, no, no. What did Jesus do? He lived just like us, born in a manger. He walked with us. Every step of the way was with us. He invested. Now, we know about investments. We always hear about the ones that got away, but we hear about the ones that were unbelievable. Here's a couple you may or may not be aware of. In 1961, uh, a guy named Ray Kroc had been following this movement, and I know this sounds crazy, but the movement was Americans now were traveling all the time, and he followed these brothers, and he couldn't believe how quickly they could make milkshakes and hamburgers. And he watched them for years, kept saving up, saving up. Finally, he went to them and said, I would like to buy your company. Now, this is a 1961, this is a lot of money, $2.7 million. And the McDonald brothers said, are you kidding me for hamburgers and shakes? And they gave him McDonald's. Not a bad investment. 
By 1984, McDonald's was worth over $500 million. In 2016, sales, $25.3 billion. That was a pretty good investment. Now, here's, here's one that is hypothetical, but I thought was hilarious. Forrest Gump. If you ever watch Forrest Gump, if you remember after he struck it rich with Bubba Gump, shrimp, remember that? And in 1979, if you watch the movie several times like I have, he invested in a little company called Apple. Remember that? That was before Apple went public. So let's say hypothetically that Forrest Gump would have invested $100,000 before Apple went public in 1980. That $1,000 investment, $100,000 investment today would be worth over $7 billion. Now, again, you're thinking, okay, that's Forrest Gump. I mean, that's totally fictional. But what if you invested your life today in Jesus Christ? I mean, what if you said, this is the day that I'm all in with Jesus Christ? And what if somehow we could track your life from today, even 10 years from now? Would your life be different? Would the results of your life be different? Instead of collateral damage, Imagine collateral presence of Jesus Christ. What would happen in your life if that was your investment? Jesus' method was always to invest in others, to draw people close to him. And when they drew close to him, you know what they experienced? Servant leadership. That was his model. Think about that. Come and hang with me. Just walk with me. Walk with me. Come on, let's walk. Let's go together. Let's, let's share life together. And they started watching Jesus. And you know what they kept saying? Every situation... Jesus is a servant. I mean, he loves children. He loves the very people that everybody outcasts. Those that have leprosy, Jesus said, come on, I have room for you. Tax collectors, Jesus went and ate with tax collectors. Prostitutes and outcasts that everybody else said, don't get near them. Jesus said, no, no, a servant does this. So that was his method. You say, would that, would that work today? Oh, absolutely, it works today. You think of the people in your life that have been servants, that have truly served you, and think of the impact that they've had. I mean, there's one guy that comes to mind. He was on TV again last night, and I just love to hear the guy talk. He has such a gentle spirit, and that's Tony Dungy. I mean, do you think about Tony Dungy, Hall of Fame coach? Think of all the things that he's accomplished. And if you ever hear him interviewed, he never talks about himself, never. Even last night, they were talking about all, how many playoff games were he in coach. He says, well, here's how many teams I had in the playoffs, you know. Well, coach, what was your, oh, it didn't matter my strategy. You know, I had, you know, I had Peyton Manning. I didn't have to worry about strategy. I mean, he took care of it. Years ago, I heard the great quote. It was the new offensive coordinator with the Colts, and they asked him, what's it like to call plays for Peyton Manning? And he said, I don't call plays. I make suggestions, okay? <laughs> I think sometimes we need to have that same attitude, like, Tony Dungy. Now, here's what Tony Dungy said, and I love this. He said, it's in the valleys of our failures where God is working the hardest, making us into something uncommon. When we walk with Jesus Christ step by step, you know what? We're going to be uncommon because the world is not used to servant leaders. And you may be sitting here today saying, I'm not a leader. Yes, you are. You're influencing somebody. You're a leader somewhere. Whether you want to be or not, you're leading someone. And are they seeing Jesus Christ in you? Are they seeing the great commission of Matthew 28 come to fruition? 
Let me just close with this. When you think about his message and when you think about the model of Jesus Christ, let me ask you this. It's important to remember as we leave this place to count our steps. Physically, we get that. Count your steps. But you know what's more important is to make your steps count. And if you want to make your steps count, you pursue Jesus Christ. You follow Jesus Christ. In a few moments after communion, we're going to have a moment where we have our invitation. It's important for you to reflect wherever you're at, pursuing Christ, to walk with Christ. And again, I can't wait as these weeks unfold, as we see, as we follow Christ, as we walk with Christ, the life lessons that we're going to learn. Oh, it's important to count your steps, but it's more important to make your steps count with Jesus Christ. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, we come before you and we praise you. We praise you for all the steps that you took for us. And Lord, I can't imagine that every step that you took deep inside, I truly believe you knew that you were stepping one step closer to the cross, and we should never forget that. And Lord, we know that there are probably folks here right now that they're broken, and they, they desperately are seeking hope, and so Lord, I pray that they'll find that hope in you. Lord, it's a new year, and we want every step to count, and the way that we do that is we pursue you. Thank you for loving us so much. It's in Jesus' name that I pray, amen.